Hey everybody, this is Carlos. Thanks for joining us. On today's show, we're going to be speaking with Brandon Nixon of Brandon Nixon Reptiles. Brandon's a boa breeder who focuses on VPI fire and scoria boas. We're going to talk about how he got involved in the boa game and his plans for the upcoming season. We're also going to talk about his experience working with the fire project, and he's going to give us some tips on taking some great pictures of your boas. Boa Rack Radio is on the air now. Welcome everybody to Boa Rack Radio. I'm your host, Carlos Rojas of Morphs Unleashed. And with me, I have my co-host today, Sergio Hernandez of Sergio Hernandez Reptiles. What's up, Serge? What's up, buddy? What's everything? Well, good, man. Uh, good for the most part, as kind of we were talking about uh, before the show started. I had to euthanize a male today, which always sucks. Uh, I actually had the female break, strike my male and wrap him and break his back. And unfortunately, there's nothing that we can do. Damn, that sucks. Yeah, man. So at least right now, the thing that I'm hoping for is he did get a chance to breed this particular female for the past three months. So I'm, I haven't seen an ovulation yet, but, you know, I'm hoping that... Uh, yeah, he's able to pass on his genetics, maybe. Yeah, that he at least passed on his genes to uh, to that uh, paradise female that he was with, man. Yep. So, you know, fingers crossed, but I mean, that's the reality. Sometimes life is tough that way and you got to do what you got to do, you know? So I had to make the humane choice there, but... That's life. But on a happier note, man, today uh, we got a guest that a lot of people have been asking for, and I am very happy to bring on, and that is Brandon Nixon, Brandon Nixon's Reptiles. What's up, man? Not too much, man. Just uh, enjoying the day off before I go back to work tomorrow. Oh, yeah. Tell me about it, man. So um, for those that uh, haven't had a chance to learn about you, I know you're, you're kind of one of the old school guys in the hobby, too, and you've been around forever. Um, but uh, for the people that haven't uh, met you or heard about you, kind of give us a little bit of your background and how you got involved with, with reptiles and eventually how you got involved with boas. Well, I guess my I've always liked them. I feel like I've like had you know corn snakes and all that stuff kind of growing up a little bit. Um, once I was in like middle school one of my instructors mr stribley had like a his back room was just nothing but vision cages and snakes and then i kind of realized that something like that was like possible and after that i always wanted to have like my own collection of snakes and just a nice wall of cages and a bunch of variety and and stuff like that but i always liked boa constrictors just the natural look that they have is just impressive so they were always one of my favorite species that's cool man and then uh when when did you actually pick up your uh, first boa constrictor well my first boa i got from uh, just like a reptile shop um when i was like in like 11th grade or 10th grade or something and then um, my second boa constrictor i got from a guy uh russ lockenwitz out of like new jersey back in the day when like hypo boas were expensive Right, yeah. And I got, like, a nice little animal from him. And then my, my next mutation was, um, you know, some anery longicatas. And then I got a a, sun, a, a, a motley boa from uh, Steve Brockschmidt, who's also been in boas forever. And that was, like, back again when, like, motleys were, like, you know, I, I got, like, a deal and I paid, like, 3500 for that thing. Wow. And I had a very similar situation as to what you had. I, I think the female actually killed that male because one day I came in and he was just dead. And, you know, and they'd been courting and breeding for a while and I didn't had no idea what happened. Yeah, man, it's uh, it's definitely a tough hobby, man. But, uh, you know, I, I think it speaks volumes, the fact that despite some of those setbacks, you were kind of able to stay in there, you know? 
I just like the stuff, you know, it's cool. And what else am I going to spend my money on? So, <laughs> no, absolutely, you know, man. It, yeah. It's just like, like I couldn't imagine not having a bunch of animals, and I don't even interact with them as often as, you know. I mean, obviously, if you have not my collection's not even large in comparison to other people, but you know, it's like I'll pull one or two out every once in a while, handle them for a little bit, put them back in, you know, pull one out, show the girlfriend, and be like, hey, look how big this one's gotten since we had it. But, yeah. you know, otherwise, you just kind of, you know, look at them, enjoy them, and, you know, do what kind of, you know, Sergio's doing, which is you just want to produce some cool stuff and and just enjoy them for what they are. No, yeah, absolutely, man. So let me ask you, what are some things outside of boas that you're passionate about or things that, uh, you know, uh, take up your time outside of reptiles? Right now, not too much. I got into playing video games, so that takes up a lot of <laughs> lazy time. Any any particular so games you're hit, you're hitting up a lot lately? Oh, the the stupid childish one, Fortnite. It's just fun. Oh, get out of here! Run around and kill people. <laughs> yeah, I know exactly. It's childish, but there's like a group of adults that also play, so it's kind of cool. But then also Warzone. Like I'm I'm getting more and more into Warzone. Nice. It's just a little bit more difficult of a game to, you know, get around in because some people are just really good because they've been playing that stuff for for years oh yeah no absolutely man you know I, I love playing video games too but i think i realized how awful i was at them with when um remember when call of duty was really blowing up uh when uh, modern warfare was kind of released a couple of years ago so at the time dude i got the i i went out i bought my ps4 or my ps3 i should say i ended up getting modern warfare all my buddies from uh uh, uh first force recon ended up doing the same and we got online got a little team started playing having fun and then we got the shit kicked out of us by probably a bunch of 12 year old kids somewhere <laughs> oh yeah exactly <laughs> which is hilarious that like a bunch of real world operators just get our asses handed to just us get lit up yeah oh yeah exactly and the funny thing is like these kids were kicking our ass by like running up to us and like stabbing us real quick with the knives and we're like what the <laughs> hell man just a real cheap way oh yeah now, the, dude. The, the funnier thing is is now you have people or in, in the game it actually has a mode um where if you get killed like when you kill somebody you actually hear their reaction when you kill them oh get the f dude it's 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 <laughs> hilarious dude if you just look up some of the highlights of that you'll you'll hear some crazy stuff but i get a bunch of people that are super salty because i uh I oh that would a, be me uh, dude i'm not even gonna lie a, that'd be me <laughs> a, a dragon, I, I unlocked like dragon's breath rounds for a shotgun so I just friggin' run up to them and I just blow it in their face and they just, they, I mean, they get shot in the face for one and they get caught on fire. So one of the two is going to kill them. Oh man. That's funny, dude. So, um, uh, let me ask you, man. Um, when did you get a chance to kind of refocus on boas or is that just always been kind of a constant with your life? Cause I know for a while you were in the, in the Marine Corps and you know, Obviously, that takes up a pretty significant amount of time, uh, being on active it's, it's duty and always, stuff. I feel like it's always been a constant, but it's more it being constant for me as far as, like, you know, reliability and reproducibility. Because I'll have, like, good seasons, and then I'll have absolutely nothing. You know, like, back when I was in L.A., when I first moved out there in 2015... I had two litters. I had I produced like fifty five babies between two females, not one slug in the bunch. Wow. And then and then it's like after that I get like half litters for the next couple years. You know, it's it's so it's it's very and that was like right after like a move from from Colorado to California. So it's it's very confusing how how that happens. So it's always been something that I liked and I I wanted 
I feel like once I'm finally stable and stuck somewhere for a while, then I think it'll be more reliable. Yeah, you know, no, I think, I, I think I think that's the biggest thing is my geographical location has changed so many times while I've been keeping everything, and I and I really haven't been anywhere for longer than two years. Yeah, no, that's tough, man. Because then, then at that point, you're basically getting to the point where the snakes finally are settling in, and they start getting some sort of stability, so they can start breeding at a normal pace. And then all of a sudden, they got to move again, right? Yep, pretty much. Yeah, dude. I, so I, now, I feel your pain, dude. <laughs> yeah, so I think now, finally, I'll be able to focus on it. And then also, you know, while I was in school, I wasn't working, and you know, the the snake litters that I did have, and the cool stuff that I did acquire. I sold or, you know, traded off to get some other stuff that I could sell a little easier than a more expensive animal, you know, tried to do a couple of things like that just to, you know, cover all the expenses and, you know, cover everything while I was in school. Yeah. So now I'm through that, have a job that pays pretty well and I can, you know, focus on everything. I mean, I think, you know, right now I'm, and I know that's, you know, something I'm sure we're going to talk about later, but I've got around 50 some animals now, right? which has grown quite a bit can you know within the past like two years and a lot of that's because i have a job where i don't i don't rely on the snakes at all like it would pretty much just be something nice yeah no you know, i got, to actually I be able to you, produce yeah. and have some you know some babies to well sell dude to that, trade that, and get some stuff i like absolutely man and i think that's the right approach instead of you know we hear of a lot of guys especially when they come on the show talking about how large their collections are and that's cool to have a, a good sized collection and it's oh, no, no, i gotta keep and, it small and, and it's no knock it too on big. Them. but when you got limited space i think quality is of utmost importance right oh yeah definitely and you got guys like sergio who have ample amounts of space and their quality is insane, insane yeah like throughout like everything that they have oh yeah no absolutely man so let me ask you what made you go from a hobby collection into more of a breeding collection when when did that kind of switch happen when you really decided to start focusing on the breeding kind of side of the house and not just necessarily keeping i mean i still think that was like really early, like really early on like even in high school like i was getting stuff with the hopes of you know produce you know producing babies from it one of the animals i got from from steve um, was a, a head albino female. Um, and that was my first female that ever produced a, a litter for me. And that was wow. like a breeding loan with my buddy, um, Ray Bueno. I think he's out of snakes now, but, um, it was, it was like a breeding loan yeah. deal. And I had my parents drop it off to him while I was in Japan and, and, you know, <laughs> and they produced babies cause my parents took care of my stuff when I was stationed over there. Oh, that's awesome, man. That's awesome that you had that, that support dude. But, but it's mostly because it's like, you know what, like if you want to have a variety of stuff, and especially if you want to have a variety of stuff that happens to also be expensive, you have to have a means of paying for that. Absolutely. And, Absolutely. and I didn't want to constantly be doling out my own money for, you know, for that stuff. Best way to do it is have that stuff produce the money that you need to be able to get new stuff, new cages, new animals, whatever. You know, it, and it also justifies the cost with like the significant others. Cause if you're just constantly blowing money on, you know, snakes that have, that aren't contributing anything, especially with the values that some of them get up to, right. you know, you need a little bit of justification. Yeah. No, I especially think that's for the quantity and then it borderlines on hoarding. So, 
Yeah, dude. And I think that's actually a really, really good tip, man, that you just kind of dropped. That You just dropped some serious knowledge on folks. So let me ask you, when you were um, kind of evolving through your process, um, who were some of the people that you looked up to that inspired you or people that maybe even mentored you along the way? You know, my first, well, aside from that first uh, hypo boa that I got um, from that guy, Russ Lockenwitz, uh, Mike Weitzman, he was oh, yeah. like the next Absolutely. guy that I got um, boas from. Um, and I got, you know, some really nice peachy salmons. Oh, and dude, that peachy salmon line is so underrated too, man. It, yeah, it's, it's really nice. It's really pretty. Like a lot of the stuff that Mike does make is, is really nice. And, you know, so getting, you know, it was like a, like a couple of those and like a ghost bow or an anery bow or something. Like I just got like a bunch of, you know, cool little things from still while I was in high school. And, um, you know, so he he was always a guy that I, that I, that I like just from that. But ironically enough, a lot of like my buddies were back on like the reptile insider forums. Oh yeah. Um, you know, that, that you just kind of go back and forth with and you know, it's, you know, it's just kind of funny that you have like people that aren't even necessarily involved in boas that you're kind of like buddy, buddy with just because of, you know, where you're at. Cause I was also part of a couple like ball Python forums, even though I didn't have like any ball pythons at the time. Man. So mostly Mike and, you know, for a while there it was, you know, with the, with Jeremy, just because I bought a lot of stuff from stuff from him when I, when I reenlisted, but you know, I definitely made some, uh, made some poor choices there as well. Just, and that was just due to being new. Right. A lot of these lessons are lessons that we're now looking back, and I, and you know, I, retrospectively. But, oh, dude, I, I made those same mistakes. I made the same mistakes as you, you know what I mean? I remember getting what? a re-enlistment bonus and just dude, wanting to jump have, all over that. Dude, that's exactly what happened to me. Yep. And that's, and that's you know, I try and help people. Whenever they ask about what they want, what they're going to get, and all that stuff, I try and, like, steer them the best way possible. But it's like, you one, you got to get what you like. Screw what other people like. But you also, you know, if you're if you want to make something that actually generates some sort of income, whether it's to pay for your collection or what, you know, it does have to be like, it has to be interesting to other people. Yeah. Like it just has to be. Absolutely. Um, but you know, you just like the quality over quantity thing, dude, I blew like 30 K of my reenlistment bonus all on snakes in one fail swoop. Wow. And <laughs> yeah, I know bad choices were made. Yeah, but, no, I've, I've made those bad choices too. <laughs> but so the problem was, man, is I, I just like, I hit up, you know, Josh and Jeremy and I was like, Hey, like I, you know, I, I've got this, like, and I already bought animals from them, you know, before. And I was like, I want, I want like some stuff, you know, like, and I didn't really know what I wanted. I just said that I wanted, you know, a group of animals. Right. And he came back with like a list of like animals. And at the time I was like, man, like I can get this and this and this. And it's like, dude, that was like, like one thing on the list was like a het VPI male, no female, just a het VPI male. Right. But that's also when they were expensive. Right. Yeah, so yeah. I was just like, man, like I'm getting like all this stuff for like, you know, around, it rounded down to like, you know, a thousand, 1500 or something like, you know, whatever it rounded down to like each. Yeah. And I was like, man, like, you know, the, it comes out like pretty nice, but you know, obviously like you learn, you learn lessons and that lesson was, you know, the, you know, to, to kind of think ahead. And I definitely wasn't doing that, you know, back in like 2008, whenever I, I picked up that group of animals, because, you know, by the time that, I mean, breeding that male, I would have just produced a bunch of posset females 
which would have had like absolutely no value. Right. I would have, I would have been, I would have like just a lot of the stuff that I would have made or did make from those animals. Um, you know, it just, it definitely wasn't worth the amount of money that I spent had I just bought like a pair of VPIs or something and just got two animals instead right. of the group that I got, it would have been a way better investment. Yeah. I mean, that that's the absolute truth, man. And I think we were all guilty of kind of making some decisions like that. Like I, I know one of the things I've always kicked myself in the ass is that early when I was first getting started on this, and mind, this is like 20 years ago, dude. So, you know, this is when albinos were expensive as crap, was getting a bunch of possible head albinos, getting a group of possible head albinos, instead of going out and purchasing just a single pair of visuals that I could have, you know, done relatively well with, you know? And basically, by the time I actually produced some albinos, I had lost so much value there that, uh, you know, it was kind of a, a, an ass-kicking because at the time, dude, I, I was like an E4, you know? So, oh, yeah. So, I mean... Well, yeah. and that goes to what you're, we talked about a little bit before with the uh, the fire animals. Yeah. You know, because, um, you know, I got those animals really early on. Mine, mine uh, were from 2011. Wow. So they were the, the second year that they were produced. So... It wasn't necessarily cheap to get into, obviously, because there weren't any around. And the only person making them at that time was Jeremy. Right. And that was before any of the the weird drama stuff happened. I mean, that yep. was pre all of that, you know. So they were they were going for a, a chunk. And, you know, it's like they were like that was like my learning experience. That like deal that I did where I got like all these things and paid like all this money for. I could have done the same thing and bought a pair of fires, which is what I did. And yep. that pair of that pair of fires, like even I haven't even had like amazing success with it, but I've had decent success with it enough to recoup that investment enough to pay for my living expenses while I was out in California going through school, just having one or two litters of those things a year. Yeah, no, absolutely. I mean, that's that's right. There's the dream, dude. I mean, that's what everybody's chasing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Man, what, what was cool I about it like too is are. during that time when you're producing and selling them. You didn't even have to work. It was able to carry you through, you know, your living expenses, co- uh, school, and all that. So, yeah, he definitely did it right, though. It was, it was good. Oh, yeah, and then it's funny, too, because Sergio actually has one of the first fires that I produced. That's awesome. Yeah, and now Sergio, with it, once again, with his super sneaky collection. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't, I don't even know what I can talk about that Sergio has unless I've seen a picture of it posted on Facebook. Yeah, and then right. I'm like, all right, people know, people know he's got that, so that's that, right. That's fair. Yep. So, man, uh, let's talk a little bit about currently uh, what your primary kind of project focus is. What are some of the animals that you're working with? I know because of the move, it's kind of hard to get all the pairings going. But what are some of the animals that you now have in your collection that you're looking forward to producing in the future? What's funny is it's it's really kind of all over the place now. Just because of, like I said, I've been kind of reestablishing the collection and getting things up to you know, up to size and, and just kind of the different things that I want, different things I want to explore. Like I had this super nice, um, uh, arabesque blood albino call strain female that I got like a while back, but I had to sell it while I was in school. Cause again, you know, got to pay for stuff. Right. And, um, you know, so I picked up quite a few, uh, like sun dragon, you know, kind of, kind of projects. Um, a lot of that stuff is from a Tibor Pap. Um, and then I also got, um, a pair of the, 
Roswell Laddertail double head blood albino from Mike Weitzman. Nice. Um, so I'm trying to do, you know, some, some cool blood albino combos with, with call and sharp. I got one of those amazing, uh, sharp albino pasta bloods from Brad that he imported from Europe. And those yep. things are just like insane. You know, all, all the European lines, they're just cleaner because a lot of the guys over there, they do have smaller collections or, or higher quality collections. So they, they produce just dime pieces, you know, yeah, they don't, they don't have absolutely. an ugly animal. Um, but aside from, aside from those trying to, trying to work some VPI stuff and that, uh, carbon gene, you know, the, the gene that, uh, Kenny, um, yep. Kenny's working on a lot with, I mean, that's like my favorite line of anery for yeah, sure. No, and, yeah, I, and I need to get definitely. more of it. I just have two animals from him now. Yeah. And I just picked up, a, 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 I just picked up some, uh, some visuals from Kenny, man. So, you know, I'm looking forward to grabbing those off of him, dude. I, I think by far the carbon line is the best looking out of all the anery lines that are out there, man. Oh, it's yeah, the absolute, white, the it's so clean. Adult, like it's, the yeah, white it's is white nice. on it. You know what I mean? It's You're not looking at a grayish color oh, yeah. in the background. The white is yep. white, and then the black is black and gray. You know what I mean? I think the first time that somebody produces the equivalency of like a panda pied, right? I think yeah. that's going to wind up coming from Kenny's line. Oh, yeah, I'm sure just because of how white those things are. Yeah, and I'd be foolish to go after any other line to kind of establish that first. And, you know, and, and I've had a couple of buddies of mine that have, you know, just one in particular because I generally only talk to a couple people. But, you know, he was saying he was kind of like hesitant about that only because there, everybody else has, you know, the type one line of mm -hmm. anery to go in their projects. And I'm like, that's exactly why that's exactly why I don't want to do it because you don't know what you get. You know, you, you get some animals that are, that are more yellow. You get some animals that are more white. There's such a, such a variety um, between them. And plus everybody else has it. So you're competing against everybody else to make something. Meanwhile, with the carbon stuff, you know, people can go whatever direction they want. I mean, obviously everything's kind of centered around the Aztec because that's where it originally kind of came from. Right. Um, but but you, you have so many other options as far as what you want to take um, take that into pattern-wise. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. And as a matter of fact, I think I was goofing around Morph Market the other day and I saw that Kenny still had a couple of uh, visual carvings out there for what I think is like an absolute steal of a price. I'm surprised those things haven't oh, been snatched up. I, you know what I mean? I, already, I think I some know, people are going to be I kicking themselves in the ass about, in a year from now. Yeah, I keep talking about getting one of the males, but I keep dragging my feet and I hate it. Um, but I just, I got sidetracked a little bit with, you know, a bad word of ball pythons recently. Yeah. And a lot of that is because I've seen people, um, you know, like always evolving pythons. That dude's been keeping for, you know, a couple years now, like three or four years or something like that. Miguel. And yep. that dude's basically like right up there next to Justin, who's like number one in ball pythons, basically. Yeah, you know, and, he, and he that speaks started, to the power of media facility. too. Yep. Oh yeah, he he built a facility. He did all this stuff. He did all that stuff with ball python money. Yeah, and and That's the main reason why I'm like, you know what, I'm gonna get into that stuff because I like some of the ball pythons, and actually almost every ball python I have eats frozen thawed, and that was always the biggest hangup for me is I didn't want to feed live. Well, you're a lucky but, bastard, man. Mine, but like 80, 80 percent <laughs> of them, man. In the they, oh yeah, they 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 eighty percent of them eat frozen thawed. Yeah. 
I've got just a handful that won't that won't do it, but it's like I just feed them African soft furs because I don't want to feed anybody uh, feed anybody rats. Right. But um. But yeah, man. So they're little 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 sidetrack there. But and then back on to uh, fires. I, I yep. like those. I still want to make those. I think those things are one of the more underrated things just because of the enhancement that they're going to be able to do to pretty much any gene that they touch. Well, dude, I'm looking forward when you start mixing some of that fire with that carbon. So those carbon fire stuff is going to be cool. clean. I'm sure I'm sure Insanely Sergio clean. or Kenny will be able to do oh, that. Oh, Kenny's, Kenny's already on it, yeah. But yeah. still, man, you know, I, I think there's just a lot of potential. But that being said, I will say one thing about the other lines of Annery, man. There's nothing wrong with the other lines of Annery. At the end of the day, it comes down of what is the right ingredient for what you're trying to do with your projects, right? There is oh, yeah, times where a type 1 Annery might be exactly what you're looking for. Because I can tell you personally, I also have type 1 Anneries. And I also have, you know, some rare uh, lines of Annery, especially in the sharp gene, like the silver bullet stuff that Mike Weitzman produces. Oh, so yeah, I have some yeah. silver bullet animals because with me, the silver bullet brings kind of a thicker pattern uh in general right they kind of tend to thicken pattern up and you know for me that one will produce something specifically that i'm looking for with my sharp purple uh, oh yeah no doubt I'm doing, you know it so just, i think for me I, it comes down to one of those problems of you know not not so much space but it's like it's just a rabbit hole man it's such oh, it a is, rabbit dude. hole oh, because absolutely. as soon as you get one line of something else you're like all right like this all this blood albino stuff i have lying around it's because I seen one animal that Tibor had, and yeah. I was like, "Man, that is." And Sergio knows exactly which animal I'm talking about. It's jungle blood hat call. That thing's yeah. beautiful. I, yeah. I, I seen that one animal, and I was like, "Man, that thing is real nice." And then I then I, I got it. I also got a, a blood motley hat call, and then and then that led into buying the Roswell ladder tail double hats because I wanted those to go to that. And I also right. have this Key West hat call female lying around, so I'll make some some Key West and Roswell ladder tail mutts, you know? Yep. Make some supers that way. That's how it starts. You, you pick one up, you end up with like five, ten more. Yeah. yeah, exactly. You end up with a whole group of, of that gene, and all of a sudden it's a new stack of cages. It's a new it's a new everything. It changes changes a lot of dynamics. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. And and like you, man, I've I've gone down the, uh, the ball python hole a lot. The good thing is finally I think I'm getting – a little bit more control on that end and I'm you know I finally specialized on a particular gene that we're trying to uh, drive forward with uh, my buddy uh, Eric Griffin of prison pythons man so we're focusing on the monarch gene which is a, oh know, yeah that one's nice I got, I got, I got the ultramo yeah so it's you know similar I guess right like yeah color wise um, yeah I'm, I'm mostly working with uh, the ultramo and sunset stuff that's kind of my my route that I'm going. Yeah, those. no, that, that that's a, that's a gr that's a great way of comboing it, man. You know, we're doing a lot of uh, monarch and sunset, monarch and uh, puzzle uh, kind of mixes over here. It's fun, man. I will say one thing about the ball pythons is it's fun because how reliable they breed. You know what I mean? Just the yep. the feeding issue just drives me nuts. Mine, like you said, eighty percent of them drive. You know, eat frozen thawed. But goddamn, those twenty percent that don't, dude. Oh my god, <laughs> and, dude. And that's and that's why I got them, you know, because if if the boas aren't going to carry their weight because of, you know, just how complicated they are to breed, you yep. know, whether, if I don't have things set up the right way, if I moved, if friggin' the weather blew east when it should have blown west, you know, like <laughs> I I want something that's going to be reliable and be able to 
sustain, you know, purchasing racks, building my cages, um, you know, feeding everybody, like doing all that stuff without actually, you know, dipping into my own like cash. Yeah, no, absolutely, man. Absolutely. So let me, let me ask you a question, dude. Um, what are some important lessons and you've already touched on this, but what are some important lessons that you learned kind of setting up your reptile business? I mean, the biggest, I mean, you don't really want to burn bridges and I know definitely everybody, you know, when they start off or do whatever, you don't necessarily think I burn bridges, but I'm sure I have people that, you know, got some things to say. I know I've definitely done some stuff that I laugh about then. I mean, I still laugh about now, so I don't have any regrets about it. So it doesn't really matter. Um, but you just gotta, you know, just be who you are, I guess. If the people like you, they'll, they'll like you, but don't be fake to people. Yeah. I think that's an important thing. But, but like having, having or seeking knowledgeable, like people to get advice from, especially when you're looking at getting into certain projects and you don't want, God damn, almost got bit in the face. <laughs> I'm doing the, doing the cleaning stuff. And one of the, uh, one of the little side projects, which is a, a max pink Argentine from, um, Ooh. you yeah. know, she just went right for the face cause she's eye level in this ARS rack. But, um, you, you just want to surround yourself with people that are going to give you honest, you know, honest, um, you know, kind of either ideas or plans or whatever, as far as like your breeding and your interests go. You know, because some people, they don't look out for you. Yeah. You know, they, they really don't. And you, you want people that are going to look out for you and people that are going to give you, you know, reliable advice. And, you know, one of those people that I that I talked with, um, you know, it was really funny because it's actually once I started getting, and that's one thing I noticed too, like you make different friends depending on what your collection has in it. Yes, absolutely. You know, like like I occasionally talked with Tony back in the day you know, just through the forums, you know, just because of the pictures I would take of the snakes, you know, he'd always be in, he's always, he'd always be into it for the pictures, but I didn't really have anything too crazy. And then I finally got my fires. And then that's when like, he started talking to me. That's when I started talking with Chaz because I started talking with Tony, Mm -hmm. you know, whenever I came out to LA and I was, or uh, out to San Diego when I was stationed down at Miramar, I would drive up to, to visit Tony, you know, almost weekly to take pictures of stuff, to help him sell stuff. Um, you know, all kinds of different things, just help him do some cleaning and whatever else. And, um, you know, it was that, that's when I met Sergio, like back when Sergio just got into boas. Yeah. And, you know, it's, you, you have good relationships like that and you always have, uh, you know, people that you can bounce ideas off of and they'll be like, Oh, that's a good idea. Or that's just a bad plan. Yeah. No, man. That's super important. Yeah. You're absolutely right, man. And I think, um, I think it speaks volumes to the fact that sometimes you're able to make lifelong friendships with a lot of dudes in the hobby, you know? And on the other hand of that too, one of the shitty parts of the hobby is that there's always those breeders that will only be your friends when you have a little bit of money in your pocket and they think they can get it. You know what I'm saying? Oh yeah. And, and it's true. And you know, sometimes I feel like everybody's guilty of that because there's definitely been people that like that I've talked to, and they talk about buying an animal or whatever. And, you know, it's like, well, still, like, I don't know. I, I feel like it just goes in waves. But also it's because sometimes people are just busy. They got a lot going on. Like, I'm sure Sergio would talk to a lot more people if he had more free time. And he'd right. show a lot more stuff if he had more free time. But I've never met somebody that works more than Sergio. Yep. Like, that guy's always got some stuff going on. Yeah, take a vacation, Sergio. 
I can't. Oh, he's, he's probably he's probably doing some stuff right now. He is, dude. I <laughs> you know he is. <laughs> I'm updating my breeder list. Yeah, good luck. <laughs> but you know, it's so you have you have to really you have to really find those people, and that and that makes things you know way better. But you know, like uh, Mike Weitzman, he's a good example. Like we occasionally talk, you know, just kind of back and forth, just to, you know, how, how's it going? Like what's going on with the season, stuff like that. But I've known that guy, you know, since I was in 10th grade, Wow! like some of my, some of my first boas I got from him, you know, and it's, you know, and he's always been available as far as, you know, anything. And, and he doesn't just talk because he knows I'm going to spend money with him. You know, although I'm sure like over the course of how long I've known him, I've probably spent like, 20 to 30 grand with the guy right but i don't know you just you, you make a lot of good connections that can last a while depending on you know if you burn those bridges or not which you know some you know that just happens just person just people you know people with different personalities kind of deal yeah no i get you on that man yeah, I and you know what, dude? I'm actually a pretty terrible businessman, so I get to the point a lot of times that once I've established really good friendships with dudes, I'll just straight up send them snakes at times. You know what I mean? I'd be like, hey, man, I catch something cool. You want one? You know? And I could probably go out and get, you know, two, three grand for that snake somewhere else, but sometimes I don't because I'd rather just kind of establish that relationship with guys. Like right now, uh, a couple of weeks ago, I sent the snake over to one of my buddies uh, because he was focusing more on locality stuff. And he wanted to trade me some uh, some ball pythons for it. And uh, there was a little bit, bit, bit of a miscommunication. He, he uh, said he had a, uh, a breeder uh, female VPI uh, to send me, right? Uh, and yeah. I thought he was talking boas, but he was actually talking ball pythons. <laughs> so I get, uh, so I sent him my boa, and I received, you know, a couple little, a little uh, breeder VPI exanthic or something. Yeah, dude, he he sends me like a female VPI exanthic, and I'm like, what the fuck is this? <laughs> so I call him. I'm like, dude, what'd you send me? Uh, and he's like, well, what do you mean? I sent you that VPI. I'm like, oh, dude, I thought we were talking boas, right? And uh, we just laughed it off, and I sent them back the same. He's like, you want me to send you something else? I'm like, dude, don't even sweat it. I'm like, once you hatch something cool, just pick something out and send it to me. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like, the reality is the snake that was here, which was like this beautiful Bolivian female that was ready to breed now, right? I didn't have a male for her. And right here, she was just essentially, you know. Collecting dust, yeah. Collecting dust and eating, eating large rats. So I'd rather see my friends, you know, take that female breed her up, produce something cool. That way my friends can get a little bit of money in their pocket, you know? And, you know, if yeah. I if I get a cool snake from them in the future, awesome. If I don't, oh, well, you know, no big deal. I'm, you know, I I'm in, I I have a, a good job nowadays, right? Uh, so, you know, I really right. am in the There's hobby. The contractors, they got it going on. Yeah, man. So, yeah, man, you know, I, I'm in the hobby for the hobby side because I enjoy it. I like the friends that I've made here, you know? And that's where I'm at too now with, with my job as well is that it allows it to, to where I don't have to rely on it. If I don't make babies, I don't make babies. It's more just a wanting to make stuff than anything else. Yeah. Yeah. Now you're able to enjoy it. Yeah. No. Oh, yeah. Or, and it's enjoy not, it more. It's I not stressful say, at all. You've yeah. always did. Yeah. Yeah. Honestly, the only time I get stressed about making babies is when I'm like doing breeder loans with people. Right. So like right now I have two snakes from two buddies uh one in phoenix and uh one on the east coast uh and they're both males and i'm trying to breed them and like 
my stupid females haven't ovulated yet, so I'm like stressing the hell out over those. You know what I mean? Because I want to produce some cool stuff for them, and I want to send them back a bunch of cool babies. <laughs> you know what I mean? All right. Well, it's different when the when the pressure that stresses me out, but you know, it is what it is. Like I got that, uh, VPI, I got that VPI um, IMG female over there at Sergio's place. Yep. And you know, it's like I don't. You know, we don't think it's going to happen this year just because we think that she's one of those females that she goes early. Right. So we tried tried a male later in the season, and he didn't. You know, he just wasn't about it, or she had already reabsorbed, or she had already stopped growing, or whatever the case was. You know, and it's just you know it happens. And granted, it would have been nice to have those you know this year, but you know it's thankfully I haven't really had any issues with any kind of breeding loans. And as far as you know, straightforward guys go, I don't think they get any more straightforward than Sergio is. So. Yeah, no, I, I'm with you, man. I'm lucky. I'm very picky on who I do breeding loans with. And if I'm more hesitant to actually, I'm, I'm okay sending my snakes out for breeding loans, but I'm very hesitant to take stuff in. And the two guys that, you know, I'm doing breeding loans with just happen to be like two of my best friends in the hobby, you know? So shout out to Brad, uh, Brad down Sherman. in Phoenix. Yep, Brad Sherman, one of the nicest guys in the entire hobby. And then shout out to Dave Schmidt, my brother, uh, who just got a nice turkey last weekend. So, oh, yeah. Yeah, I've, I've only I've only seen pictures that uh, that Brad has posted. Dude, Brad, Brad is a sweetheart. Guy, but he just he he's just a seems, sweetheart, dude. You know, from all the stuff I see, I've never never seen anything bad. And his his animals always look like incredible. Yeah, he's like Sergio, sure man. He's got these, these sleeper together too. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, man. Brad is like Sergio. He's got this sleeper collection that like nobody knows about. You know what I mean? Unless oh, like. Brad. Unless, like, you've stopped by and, like, you've seen this place. But the dude has got just a ton of great stuff. And more importantly, man, the guy is legitimately one of the nicest guys in the entire hobby. He's that one dude that, like, when people ask me, man, who should I buy a snake from? He's probably the first name that comes out of my mouth. You know what I mean? Because I know if I send a friend over to buy anything from him, like, I know they're going to get treated right, you know? So if anybody... Yeah, going to have any issues with anything. Yeah, no, never, dude. And, and Brad's... And if for some you know, rare case or some miracles an issue were, were to arise, Brad's the type of dude that will always take care of you. You know what I mean? That's why I love Brad, man. Brad, like I said, Brad is as good as they come, you know, in the entire hobby. Now, let me ask you, dude, um, what do you see the future of the hobby being? What do you think kind of the, the hobby is kind of steering towards? In what regards? Well, like yeah, animal wise or yeah, like animal wise or like business practice wise, like, you know, what oh, do you man, see I think, I think the change. boa people need to start doing stuff like the ball python people do. Thank you. You know, because yeah. there's so there's so many resources for ball python people. There's so many people that are out there. Dude, I'm just I don't have the personality for it. I used yeah. to make YouTube videos just because it was kind of fun. And my buddy Alex, Burgess yeah, they were pretty good. By the way, we would do. I mean, they weren't terrible for what they were. You know, yeah. I need to I need to lose a bit of this chub before I start doing anything like that again. But. Dude, I'm with you, man. I got to lose this COVID weight, bro. Don't we all? Yeah, man. <laughs> well, you know what's a shitty thing? Before COVID happened, I actually was like slimming down, looking good. Oh, dude, I was hitting the gym every single day for like the last like seven, eight months, man. I think I lost like, you know, 20%, you know, body weight. I was finally like getting back into like, you know, beast mode, dude. And then COVID weight, happened. Yeah. COVID happened, bro. I, I haven't yeah, gained it all back, but I've gained such some. A rut. Yeah. Um, but yeah, man, it's, I think, um, 
you know, I think if, if people just got into, into doing more of that, like I know, uh, you know, I know some people have like, you know, don't necessarily agree with some of the things you said, but uh, like Jason uh, Ramadi, Razamadi, I don't know, I would say his last name, I can't remember it exactly, but he does pretty regular BOA videos. He does right. BOA videos, retake videos, burn videos. He does videos on everything. But it's like, I really can't think of anybody else that does regular or consistent BOA videos. And it's not because there's no information, because there's plenty of information. Um, yeah. But there, there's just not the same kind of excitement that there is for, for other stuff. Like, I can't go on YouTube and find, like, BOA videos that I like. Or yeah. that are entertaining, or not even entertaining, because I don't really like entertaining. I like informational. Um, right. You know, but you you don't get the same excitement as you do as like when you watch like a, a Justin Kabilka, um video or or one of those ones from Miguel at AEP. Yeah. You know they they showcase things differently. They go over like their breeding. They go over like their record keeping. I mean, they go over pretty much everything, which. Like I said, you don't have you don't have people like that in boas. Everybody just kind of keeps their mouth shut. The the closest thing you have to that is Gus's new book that like re released. Right. Yeah, which I've read through a couple of times, trying to fix any errors or anything like that, and that I have that might you know be impeding, you know, reproducibility and stuff. Yeah, dude, and you know the thing is that it's not that we're lacking people with you know those type of personalities. So for example, like oh, I yeah. think a guy that I'm surprised hasn't really started you know hit like a hardcore youtube channel because when you talk to the guy it's super infectious to see his excitement is mike roscoe right so like mike roscoe oh, is, yeah. a, is a boa that, guy that, that like dude, you talk to him he gets you hyped he's up the you next, know what i mean busiest guy next to sergio oh yeah dude yeah that, he's yeah, yeah he's that always guy's busy. busy but but he has the resources i'm sure with the people that work for him mm -hmm. for his mm -hmm. shop and stuff like that where he could put out something like that Absolutely, man. So, Roscoe, I know you're listening, man. Let's get that YouTube channel going, brother. You know, you know, it's going to be good, man. So, well, cause, I mean, get on he's it. Had, he's had, uh, you know, he's had Dave over there a couple of times. And dude, the, the videos video. with him and Dave yeah, are and great, man. Out, oh yeah, they turn out great. Yeah, exactly. Because he's got plenty of eye candy. He's got plenty of cool stuff. You know, and, and tons of information too. No, absolutely, man. So, hey, boys, uh, we're going to take a quick break now, and then when we come back, I, I want to talk a little bit about uh, photographing boas, okay? Sounds good. All right, guys, we're back. So one of the biggest issues that I see when people try to sell their snakes out there is the abundance of poor photography, right? So in order to effectively and accurately represent your snakes, you're going to need to have a good picture of them because really when we do the majority of the business through the internet, okay, that picture's got to be an accurate representation of the animal that you're selling, but it also needs to capture the animal in its best possible light. And boas tend to have like a lot of different hues and colors that are sometimes difficult to capture. And many people who attempt to take photographs of their snakes, you know, simply get frustrated and they end up quitting because they're unable to capture those colors. So Brandon, what are some techniques and some things that you do to really take good pictures of your snakes? Well, it's mostly just getting a reliable source as far as like your, um, you know, your light, your light, your camera. I mean, and the more things that you're in control of, the better success you're going to have. Huh. 
And one of the other things is what you mentioned with color, you know, you can, you can buy like a really expensive, like color checker passport that you sync with Photoshop or Lightroom and then color your, color your pictures individually from that. Or you can do a, uh, like a, a white balance card. So you, you can get those from any kind of camera shop and they have a white card, a black card and a gray card. So whenever your camera sets a color balance, or an exposure it does it to assume that something that basically like whatever you're selecting is gray in the photo okay so it can change it can darken your picture it can brighten your picture it can warm your picture it can cool your picture really okay so by having one of those cards in your photo setup taking a picture of that and then syncing that card with lightroom or photoshop or whatever editing software you use and then you can sync your exposure to that and your color balance to that and then apply it to all your images so everything looks the same and it's reproducible. Huh. Okay. Is, it, is there a particular program that you like best for editing those pictures? I like Lightroom. It's faster and you can batch process stuff. So, you know, you and I were talking um, a while back about um, Chaz. Yeah. And, you know, once upon a time, I went to his place out there in Arizona and I photographed all of his babies and all of his animals and stuff that he was going to be putting up for sale that year. And in doing so, I mean, that's basically what I did. I, I took my, my one picture and then I took all the other pictures. And then afterwards, I just synced them all. So they all had the same color and, and white balance, um, you know, so they were all, you know, true to their best ability as far as like their color and exposure go. Got it. And then that goes into uh, the lighting. You know, right now I'm just using a, um, I'm just using a, an off-camera flash. Um, pretty much every manufacturer makes them. You know, Nikon, Sony, Canon, whatever. And then I just bounce it off of the white ceiling, and that creates a very large white light source that basically fills in a lot of the shadows and whatever else on the snake. Um, Do you use a light you know, box or anything like that? No, I can't use those things. They just they just don't work well for me because, you know, the problem you'll find whenever you buy, like, a lot of those light sources are, you know, they might have, like, LED lights or something, which are, like, a weird color temperature. They can flicker. Right. They can cause all kinds of different different anomalies. So your your best bet is either getting, like, a day – you can get, like, a massive, like, four-foot-long daylight bulb from Home Depot and a shroud to put it in for, like, $25. It's like a four-foot-long bulb with a four-foot-long shroud. Okay put that a little bit over your, your table that you're taking photos of, you'll have a nice, you know, 5,500 Kelvin photo of your animal. That'll be lit from every direction that it needs to be. Huh? Holy shit, man. So, I'm actually going to try that. I mean, it makes sense what you're saying with that. It, now, as far as camera equipment, is there a particular brand or any, any particular camera and that you utilize that you prefer? For the longest time I was using a Nikon. Um, but I just had issue, I had focusing issues with the D 800 that I had and I got yeah. rid of it and I've been, I've had a uh, Sony cameras ever since. So right now I just have the Sony a seven two and I just, and I just got like a, I think it's a 50 mil, the 50 millimeter macro lens that they have. So it's basically just any kind of, I mean, not necessarily any kind of camera, but you want something that's decent, usually like a full frame camera. And then you want you know, anywhere between like the 50 and 105 millimeter macro lenses Got um, for doing photography of the snakes. Because like you said, when it comes down to selling an animal, you need to have quality images. And for right. me, I think you can get three images and that's all you need to sell a snake. 
Yep. You you need an image that shows like the face and some of the body. Right. You need an overall body shot, and then you need a, a shot that shows mostly the tail with a little bit of body. So as long as you have basically those three images, I feel like, you know, if you did like a good job showing the animal, you're not going to be able to show the animal any better. You know, right. it, it is what it is. Like, it's not going to get better, um, you know, by taking, you know, 20 other pictures. And that's usually what I do. I don't have to spend a bunch of time with each animal. You just get them. You have your setup dialed in to, so you know what kind of images you're going to take. You might have to take a couple of test shots, but after that, you should be able to grab an animal from the from the rack or from the cage or whatever, take a photo or photos, mark down which ones are that animal, and then put them back in the rack, and then move on to the next one. Because otherwise, you, you could you could just spend way too much time, um, you know, dealing with animals. And and outside shots are nice. Like Richard, he he does a lot of nice outside shots, right. but yeah. The amount of work that goes into doing that is is a lot. Yeah, no, absolutely, take, man. And, and, you know, as far as I know how his house is, it's like, so you'd have to go upstairs, downstairs, outside with one animal, and then back, unless you literally brought out, like, a gang of animals at one time. And and that's that, that's just a lot. So for a while, I was doing the neutral background um, for any kind of, like, baby animal shots that I had to do. You know, just right. something gray or black or white. Just depending on what the, what I like, because some animals they show up better on white. Some animals show up better on black. It depends on what you're trying to show. Um, and then uh, you know, right now I actually have one of those cement mixing tubs, mm-hmm. and I've got some like bark and some other things, like some like other kinds of bedding and stuff in there, just because I like the the more naturalistic kind of look yeah. of um, of that material. And I was wanting to kind of go for more of like a, a foresty kind of look. Cause that was something I would do out in California is I would actually right. take my animals, you know, down to like this like forest area. And, you know, and that's back when like I had like a, a, a jungle motley VPI and there was like no other ones of those things out there. And I would freaking take that thing out to, out to like a little public park kind of thing where nobody went and take pictures of the thing down by the river you know, just because it looked cool, you know, but it's just so much work and the lighting's unreliable. You'll get hard light, you know, you, I don't know, it's just a lot more reliable when you have the stuff in the house and you don't have to kind of mess with your settings every single shot. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's pretty much on point. Cause I think the more things you have in control, the easier it is to fix any variables. Let me ask you, man, what are some of the common mistakes you see out there when people take pictures? Some of the things that uh, just make you kind of roll your eyes when you're looking through like Morph Market, for example. Well, you know, I think a lot of the people on Morph Market do a better job than people on Facebook. Oh, yeah, absolutely, dude. Like, I feel like a lot of them, you know, they'll have like a, a, a solid colored background and and call it, you know, call it good. And for the most part, those things work. But sometimes you see issues where they're too far away from the animal. Mm. So you okay. have like this 18 inch snake that takes up 25% of the image just because they have so much extra stuff on the outside. So simply cropping it or moving it closer to the animal would work. But secondly, just the, the focus, the focus is, it just looks soft because they weren't using something that was more like a higher quality. Like they're like, Oh, I'll just use my cell phone and, yeah. and that's good enough. And you know, whenever you upload those cell phone pictures, the quality degrades. Yep. So the image, the image degrades It maybe doesn't show the animal exactly the way you wanted to show it. 
And you could potentially be losing sales because of that. Because at the end of the day, you're not selling an animal online. You're selling a picture of an animal online. Dude, that's a fantastic point. Yep. So. No, I, th- I think getting, getting you know, the importance that, of, yeah, the importance, I mean, think about it. Like all these companies with the exception of Tesla, because Elon Musk is probably an evil genius. Um, you know, like these car companies, they all spend millions of dollars a year advertising their vehicles. We all know Ford makes a pickup. We all know Toyota makes a Prius, you know, but they, they try and show them in a certain way that you're going to elicit some sort of response making you need or want that vehicle. Right. And you, you kind of have to do the same thing with the snakes. So whether you like a simple background, you want to keep it like really clean or you want like a naturalistic background because, you know, certain things bring out different things. Like I like the cleaner stuff, mostly myself, which is just like a solid colored background because it's all like a solid color with a texture, I think is like a good happy place. But, you know, shooting it on that kind of, woodsy looking kind of background you know it is nice too because you have browns you have reds you have greens well for for my pictures anyway um you you have all those colors and people know what those colors look like so they have a base to to reference what that animal looks like in person because they can see something that that kind of matches you know their their expectation of say like that color yeah dude that's actually a really good point whatsoever that's actually a really good point, especially with like the prolific use of filters these days, right? That people utilize oh, exactly, you know, on yeah. Instagram and stuff like that. Like, but okay, when you have something far, that you know the color of, you're right, man. It's easy to say, yeah, that's probably what the animal really looks like. Yeah, you can easily spot when something's oversaturated too. If you have a baseline, like you said, like grass or something. like you, you Everybody knows what it looks like. Yeah, except for Chaz's pictures. That's just because he's got that fake astroturf out there. Oh, yeah. that's right. <laughs> Dude, it's an Arizona thing. I got some fake AstroTurf up here too, man. Grass oh, just doesn't I've grow got, well I've here. A, yeah, I've got a roll of it in my uh, in my little storage spot over here now that we're in uh, Maryland. You know, when I lived out there in Arizona, I had a, a, a nice like 10 foot by like 15 foot roll that I got from like Lowe's or something to put on the patio, you know, because you have the, they, they call it the desert landscaping, all, basically a yep. rock garden everywhere. Yeah. Yeah, dude, it's the truth, man. You know, I'd love to say I just have a little roll of uh, AstroTurf, but no, actually my whole backyard is AstroTurfed out in the areas where there's grass just because I'm up in the mountains, dude, and the grass just doesn't grow up here, man. Um, Any other tips you want to give people in regards to picks? I mean, that's that's pretty much it, man. I think everybody, you know, it's it's mostly just focusing on your, your posing of the animal, which that's the only part that can get frustrating, but the longer you mess with the animal, is, is, the it, is there it an ideal pose that you feel like really tends to show boas really well? Well, I like having them at a like 45 degree angle, you know, when you're taking a picture at a 45 degree angle, because it gives you like them at like a slant. So you can see right. the full head, the full body, the tail, you can see all of it in one image. And if you cup, you know, if it's a smaller animal, I mean, obviously, if you cup your hand over them, you can kind of wedge them into that, like, shape. Do you put a lot of pressure with your hands, or do you just kind of make a shape? It's more of just overall cupping. So whenever I'm trying to get an animal for, for pictures, you know, it's the, the best thing to do is just to leave them alone as, as much as possible or to make it as fast as possible. 
So I always find just reaching in, grabbing the baby, putting putting it on whatever your your surface is, and getting that like nice 45 degree angle so you have the whole basically face, body, and tail of the boa all in one shot. And once you get that that first shot, it's easy to move in for a face shot, give them a nice little spin, and then do the tail. Yep. I feel like the longer you have the animal out and the longer you're tinkering with it, the more likely you are to, to not get the shot because they do the, the jack-in-the-box thing. Oh, yeah. Where they just stretch their body out. And then you end up with so much wasted space of the, on the image, and then people can hardly get an idea of what that animal actually looks like because it's it's all background at that point. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right on that, man. And then plus the other thing is obviously if you're utilizing any sort of artificial lights and those lights are close to the animal, the animal's going to heat up. And the more the animal heats up, the wilier you know they like to get. Oh, yeah, definitely. Cool. All right, guys. So now uh, we want to talk a little bit about the fire project. So um, obviously, Brandon, you've been involved in the fire project since kind of the early days. And for those that are, that are unfamiliar with the fire project, the fire project is one that has been surrounded by kind of controversy since Jeremy Stone first imported the super fire from Brazil. Rumors and details about the importation, along with its potential association with Amarali Boas, has kind of caused, you know, a few people to steer away from that project. But for those who have had the foresight to get into the project and to stay in the project, they've been rewarded with a gene that not only produces a white snake, as we all know, but it also, it's a gene that enhances the appearance of many other genes in the hobby. So... With that being said, Brandon, since you were one of the early proponents of it, why did you choose to start working with the fire boa? Um, a lot of it was just because it was the latest and greatest. And as I mentioned, you know, the, the, re the, uh, the reenlistment bonus mistakes that were made, you know, it's like I knew that if I was going to do something that was going to be, you know, I guess uh, at a higher level, Right. Or something that was going to actually push me forward a little bit with my collection and with the types of animals I have the ability to keep. It would be by doing something like that because the higher up on the pyramid that you invest, the better you're going to do. It sucks to spend, you know, exorbitant amounts of money on like a project or a new project, but it, it pays itself off. Like you're, you're basically not necessarily going to lose money on something. Um, that comes out new because there's there's going to be a, a demand for it and that's and that's just how it works like you probably couldn't like i mean snow boas are a perfect example a lot of people have misconceptions about the fire boa and that it's a dead-end project when it's it's definitely not for a number of reasons um just like you mentioned you know the colors and the like the look that it can give different animals you know it, it lightens things it brightens things the VPI fire animals that we're going to start seeing a lot more of are going to be far superior to the regular VPI Absolutely. animals. There's yeah. no doubt about it. Yeah, no doubt. Um, you know, so mixing that into those those different genes is going to be a huge, huge thing. And, and going back to the white snake, you know, snow boas, you know, those things are between like 500 and 1,200. You know, right. snows and snow glows, sharp recall, whatever, whatever your poison is. And, you know, people can't make enough of them because and, and they're you know just what? pretty. And honestly, man, I think they're super underpriced, dude, because if you think about how difficult it is to hit that boa, right? Oh, yeah. To hit a snow globe, dude, why would you let one go for, you know, a thousand bucks? 
Oh yeah, and, and, and I mean, obviously things have been got, have gotten a little easier to produce them nowadays with you know albinos head snow and more people having just like a snow male to take to their albino head or anery right. female, so they're they're producing like half a litter of them. But nonetheless, though, there's still enough demand to where people will sell out of those animals and try to wholesale purchase other snows and snow glows and whatever from other people just so that they have stock. Right. Because because at a reptile show. Most of the, well, not most, but probably a lot of the people that go to a reptile show, they're going there because it's a reptile show. They want to yep. check stuff out. They want to look at stuff. And they might see something and be like, wow, that is cool. And they want it. And they don't care about what it makes or what it does. They just know that it's a, a pretty animal. They know, they know that it, you know, has some color that they like. They know it has a pattern that they like. It just appeals to them visually. And, you know years and years down the road when there's a gang of these you know leucistic boas that are being made you know the pet trade would love those things like i know um you know people have issues keeping those like mexican black king snakes in stock right you know because you get a lot of people over in like the asian countries that just buy those things up because they, they those solid colored animals have some sort of appeal to them for whatever reason and by the way those things have like tripled in price in the last three years oh yeah exactly because because there's not enough people making them even though they're colubrids and they produce a lot of babies you know relative you know because you can like double and triple clutch them and do all kinds of other crazy things you can't do with boas you know there's still a lot of people that want those animals and if there's too many if there's too many people that want the animals and not enough out there the prices are going to go up or they're going to stay yep. the same and, and that's what's going on with snows like you're not going to see those things go lower yep you know and and for the leucistics and and every other new project you know relatively like all those prices they are going to come down but it takes a while especially with boas taking you know three four five years to mature before you can breed them you know it's it's just crazy. Like my fire female, I've only bred her. This is my second time breeding her. Um, and so hopefully she'll be producing babies within the next month or so. The last time I produced babies from her was in 2017. So she's had like two years off. Right. So, you know, it's, you don't, you don't have, you know, that there's only a few people that are producing leucistic boas right now. And, and more specifically people that are producing leucistic boas from the pure Colombian quote unquote, you know, side of things, you know, the, the, the ones that aren't mixed with the central stock that is. Yeah, no, I'm with you, man. And plus the other thing, as we touched on is obviously the fire gene is what like in, an ball, in ball, exactly in ball Python circles would be called an enhancer, right? It's something that's going to make everything better. Um, so with that being said, what are some projects you're trying to integrate with the fire gene? I mean, all the stuff I have, I'd like to get in there eventually. But, you know, right now, the, the pairing that I have with my female fire is with a, a massive uh, jungle VPI male. Um, just because the, the VPI fires, I think, are going to be super pretty and jungles lighten things up a lot as it yep. is. So I think just the, the jungle fire VPI is going to be really nice. And with my collection, a lot of the other stuff I have is still coming up. I might have like one or two more females that I'll be able to breed next year. Um, but you know, it's, it's, you know, slowly, slowly getting there, but I'd like to see it back, you know, like we were talking about with like the carbon stuff, right? you know, in, into the carbon stuff, into the, the, the sharp albino stuff, the blood albino stuff, 
you know, mix, mixing it into those just for the sake of having an animal that's more of a powerhouse. Right. You know, whenever you breed it to other things. So you're getting, um, you know, I, I know we mentioned it a little bit before about a, a byproduct of sorts. You know, you'd get a lot less byproduct, um, you know, by increasing the number of genes, which is what a lot of these ball python people do. Mm-hmm. You know, they're putting animals together that the have gene so many yep. genes, it's ridiculous. So whenever you breed it to a normal, you're still producing like a gang of variety. Yeah. You know, and, and, and the nice thing is, I mean, when you're mixing something that has fire in it and you wind up with just a fire, that's not necessarily a bad thing to have in your collection, you know? Oh, no, it's definitely not. Because when it comes down to, you know, when, when you know, prices and stuff get lower and it get, and that's a big problem too. A lot of the time... The biggest problem with the popularity of an animal isn't necessarily that the animal's unpopular or isn't desired. It's that it's out of the price range of most people. Right. So when animals come down in price range, when they come down in value, you're going to have a lot more people that are interested in that animal. That's you know, that's a solid point, man. You have the you have the conversation sometimes where it's like you can sell one animal for ten thousand dollars, or you can sell ten animals for one thousand dollars. I guarantee you, you'll end up selling those ten animals for one thousand dollars a lot easier a lot than faster, you will that yep. one for ten. Yep. So yep. you just have to, you know, set up your collection in a way where you're producing the stuff that you want short term for your long term goals. As far as like what projects you want to see through, what kind of genes you want to see mixed with other things. And a lot of that just goes into the foresight, which, you know, Sergio earlier, he was saying that he was, you know, busy working again and, you know, trying to put together his pairing list. And that's because he doesn't just have stuff paired up or figured out for like this year. He has stuff figured out for the next two or three years. And the only way that changes is when he finds another animal that he just can't say no to. And then he has to kind of rework that animal into his into his current plans or someone produces something crazy and then he's like you know what i need to i need to make some of those too yeah and you know honestly one of the things that i'm surprised people aren't doing as much of especially the ones that are playing with the fire gene is stacking enhancer genes like fire and key west together you know what i mean i've seen some people has a bunch of those things right yeah i mean like over there if like i I haven't, you know what's an animal I haven't really seen much that I think would be phenomenal, and it's just a basic stack, is fire with jungle with Key West. You know what I mean? You're talking about three major enhancing genes together. If you were to just have an animal that had that, you could literally plug it into any project that you have out, and you know it would improve the quality of that project long term. Oh yeah, no doubt, because... You know, the, the Key West is definitely more superior as far as cleanliness than the Roswell ladder tails are. Um, you know, it, it has a brighter base tone, and a lot of that has to do with the fact that Jeff bred those animals into pastels. You know, it's, that's where they descended from. They descended from lines of pastels, so naturally they're just going to be brighter in, in general. Yep. And same thing with jungles. Jungles, they clean up a lot of the speckling. They lighten the base tone. I mean, they, they do a lot of things to bring out the brighter colors in an animal, you know, so they don't kind of muddy out um, as they get older. And that's that's another problem, too, is you don't have too many people showing um, quality examples of older animals. Yeah, no, I think, I think that's accurate, and that kind of relates back to what we had touched on earlier and the fact that uh, within the 
boa industry we're still kind of have a handful of people that are that have kind of the sneaky collections you know what i mean that don't necessarily want to share them some people it's because they're too busy but other people it's legitimately because it's like you know when you have a really good fishing spot (laughs) you don't necessarily want everybody else to go you don't want everyone else to know about the spot yeah. yeah yeah so i get it i get it um so let me ask you man why do you feel that like that the fire gene is one of the key projects in the hobby moving forward uh in the future i just think people are going to start wanting nicer adult animals and i think one of the best ways to do that is by having like an enhancer gene that that can kind of brighten things up or lighten things up for like salmons like hypos they look amazing as babies yeah. But a lot of the times they brown out and they get uglier as adults. Um, but, you know, having a hypo fire changes that. They stay nice and colorful. They stay bright. They stay clean. They, they don't dirty up nearly as much. So I think when people start seeing and understanding that the fire gene not only produces a white snake, but also makes their other animals just better and cleaner and brighter, it's going to start to appeal to, to more people. And, you know, all it takes is, you know, it's just like in, you know, stuff with like in the ball python world, you know, and Justin made makes like the magmas and the Pompeys and all mm-hmm. that other crazy stuff. Yep. People all of a sudden are like, oh, my God, I need spot nose. Oh, my God, I need, I need, um, you know, Enchi. I need, you know, whatever else, whatever yep. other like red stripe. You know, red stripe is like, like I get confused looking at a normal red stripe well I'm dude like, it was okay, a garbage maybe. gene for a long time but, let's be honest you know exactly what I mean? and then and then all of a sudden you put it in the right thing and it's like man that added all kinds of flair to that project absolutely it's you, like, you, with, you with, saw red stripes going from 150 them. bucks to like 1200 dollars almost overnight once the magma stuff came out oh yeah i'm sure because you know just everything that justin touches you know it just it goes gold, basically, as far as as far as like the the projects itself because of the ingredients he puts in there. And I think that's what it's going to take for boas. It's going to take you know animals looking the way that relatively looking the way that they looked as babies as they do adults. Yeah, you know, re- retics are the craziest one as far as that's concerned, though. Like a baby albino retic is going to look the same exact way it does when you know it's it's going to look the same at 17 feet. Right. Like it's insane. They like don't change colors for the most part. You know, like what you what you get is what you get. And with with other animals, it's you know it's it's a little bit of a bargain. That's what uh that's why I think that the carbon fires are going to look just insane. Or yeah. like a carbon snow fire is going to look just insane because the, the cleanliness and the white of that anery line with the cleanliness of the fire, I think they're really just going to complement each other quite well. Yeah, and then plus, I think fire hasn't really been utilized as much as it should. Like, how often are you seeing fire integrated with sharp? Very little still, you know what I mean? I can yeah. probably count on one hand guys that are really working the fire and the sharp together, you know? Oh, yeah. I mean, there's only been a couple instances like the, the random, you know, sharp Lucy that, that Chase made. Yeah. You know, and it's, and it's like, aside from that, it's like, I haven't really seen other sharp albino, um, you know, fire animals. Same thing with, you know, call albino fires. You still only see like a handful of those things out there. Yeah, absolutely, man. Well, awesome, guys. We're going to take a quick break, and then when we come back, we're going to do the Dirty Dozen.
All right, guys, it's time for the Dirty Dozen. Brandon, I'm going to ask you 12 questions. You give me 12 answers. They can be as long or as short-winded as you want, all right? Sounds all right. good. All right, brother. Number one, what's the size of your current collection? Uh, currently, it's around 50, and that's probably split, um, you know, about 25 and 25 roughly between uh, boas and pythons. Nice. Husbandry question. Um, are you more of a frozen thawed or a live guy, and what's your uh, preferred bedding choice? Oh, I feed everything I can on frozen thawed. Um, the only exceptions to that are, you know, babies that are just getting started. Right. And I know some people even try and feed them frozen thawed. I've literally never done that because, you know, you don't want to unthaw a bunch of mice and then half of them take it, half of them don't, or whatever the case is. And I just feel like the live food when they're younger kind of gets that, like, warrior spirit you know that <laughs> yeah kind of kind of that thing that like aggressive feeding, deep yeah. in their body you know <laughs> where they're like i need to eat like I, i'm a predator you know you and i and it maybe maybe it like i don't know it helps them out somehow as far as like eating regularly when they're coming up but as far as boas whenever they're older it's like everything takes frozen thought and i don't i don't feed any rat larger than a large rat okay um, just because I know a lot of people in the past have had issues with those, like, uh, they call them, like, what, the Zucker rats or whatever, like, yeah, the yeah, extra, yeah. extra, extra, like, colossal mm. rats. Like, those things have too much fat, too much too much bad stuff on them. If, if they're taking anything more than a large rat, I'll just feed them, like, a one- or two-pound rabbit. Yeah. Hmm. So. How about bedding choice? Is there anything that you prefer to use? Um, well, for all of my stuff that I have in racks... Uh, right now, I have them on like a cocoa chip kind of thing. Um, I just feel like it holds humidity better, and, and being able to spot clean is is really nice. You know, not having to, and and also because I have like these uh, ARS racks, um, you know, with the little cup holder in there, which makes cleaning you know so much easier. You don't have to deal with cutting holes in the middle. You don't have to deal with Absolutely. like the overpriced yeah. pre-done papers with holes in the middle that like snake keeper or not snake keeper but superior shipping puts out yeah nice product but i'm too cheap to to spend a gang <laughs> of cash on something that's going to be shit on in like 30 minutes <laughs> so so right now it's it's that for those and then for my cages that i have um i use the indented uh craft paper okay um yeah but i'm like doing like a redesign thing where i'm going to add a litter dam like i did for my big display cages that i built and then I'm also going to use bedding there as well, like the, the coconut stuff, mm -hmm. until it's breeding season. Then when it's breeding season, all the bedding is going to come out, paper is going to go in. And that's just to reduce any kind of, uh, you know, risks of, right. of any kind of debris getting on, you know, either the, the boy or girl parts. We don't need any infections down there. So, Absolutely, man. Um, all right, number three, what's your favorite morpher locality? I don't know. I think it's just the, the fire stuff. I just like it, and I think it's. I think the part of the reason why I like it is because it's the first project that's actually like done me well. Um, I, I feel like I've had the most success with it, and that's not even saying a lot, considering I've only produced a handful of litters with the fire stuff. But in the grand scheme of things, it's you know treated me the best. I've had my best like return of investment on it. Being able to produce your own like white snakes and see them is like crazy. You know, something that, like, I remember when everybody seen that one video of that white snake that was found in Brazil, everyone was losing their minds. Right. And, you know, that's that's how it is whenever you produce a litter of the things. You're just like, I cannot believe that I just made that thing. And 
you know, you don't, I just, you know, I think that, you know, maybe it's because I haven't had that same feeling with anything else I've made that I think that's why the, the fires and the leucistics, um, you know, really hold a special place. You know, I was really happy about the, the scorias that, that Mike and I made with my female, but I wasn't there to, you know, to see him, you know, right, right. out of the goo. You know, he had my female at his place and he bred her there. So he was the one that kind of came across it. But, you know, it's... It was just an awesome, you know, awesome thing, you know, awesome thing to see is that the white snake with little black eyes looking at you. Oh, I bet, man. I bet. I need to get a super fire just for collection's sake, man. I'm not even going to lie. <laughs> All right, man. It's pretty. Number four, what is the most overrated morph? Uh, overrated, that's a tough question, you know, as I'm sure everybody finds it to be. And, and I don't really necessarily think it's an overrated morph as it is an overrated statement. And that's when I think people try throwing the pastel license on everything just to try and ride the hype train and, and you know, try and add a, add a little bit of cash on top of the, on top of the, on the top the price, line. Yeah. You know, it's like you have some, some animals that, you know, like Richard, you know, he produces his little RC pastels. He's been producing those RC pastels. You know, I can't even remember, nor do I, nor have I really cared to, to find out any more information about it. But those things start out like, you know, regular looking babies that are like, have like a really nice tone. But as they get older, they get nice and pink. Yeah, they you know, do. They, they, they really color up. And, you know, a lot of people, they call, you know, these animals pastels just because they're bright as their babies. A lot of these babies, once they lose their baby grays, are bright. Right. But that doesn't mean they keep it into adulthood. So I think just any time you, you add some sort of polygenic, non, like, you know, reproducible within like a, a, a reasonable standard kind of thing onto an animal is kind of where I, where I kind of disagree or call them a little overrated when people are just kind of, you know, trying to price gouge for the sake of adding something else onto the, the genetics or the you know, possibilities of an animal. Absolutely, man. All right, number five, what is the most underrated morph? Uh, probably, again, goes back to the, the fire. Even fire, loose, the fire, the scoria, or the uh, the carbon anery. It's, it's probably like a three-way tie with all those. Yeah. Because people don't realize the, you know... The potential, yeah. The potential yeah. of the fire. Um, you know, people lose their mind about the scoria... You know, they, you know, everybody jumps to conclusions because Richard didn't manage the pro the, the project correctly and he just kept to himself, didn't say nothing about nothing. So people assume there's all kinds of problems. You know, I had, I had issues with my female after she had um, given birth. Um, but she was, I got her, she was a 2012 and she had babies in 2017. So she was like five years old. And, you know, females have issues after having birth. Absolutely. Some That's some not necessarily, females, a, you know, a particular you know, Some gene. females don't bounce back very well. And a lot of people also talk about, like, wobbling. Mm -hmm. Like, my female did not have any issues as far as that was concerned. She would cruise and chill just as she normally would. And, you know, it's some animals, it's, it's really exaggerated. This, all the scorias that I seen when I went over to Rich's place, you know, they all were fine. Yeah. I didn't see any issues with any of those things. Now, I had, had a jaguar carpet python very briefly, and that thing was a damn nutcase. Yeah. 
you know, and it's like, if, if the animals were like that, sure, I could see a problem, but they're not. At least right. I haven't seen them like that. And who knows, maybe, you know, maybe the ones that are out there like that, maybe if there's like outcrossing or maybe you just don't breed those and those are just little pet animals or as unfortunate as it sounds, they could turn into King Cobra food. Right. You know, I mean, there's there's indigo food in my house. Yeah. I think that a lot of people short sell it just because of rumors they heard and because, because they haven't seen one or whatever else, it's like some sort of mythical creature. Right, and there's still a relatively they, rare morph in the hobby. You know what I mean. So a lot of people's opinions are based on shit they read on the internet. Oh, I like I can't even think of like ten people that have scorias, and that's just because every time, like I, like if you know, and I, I know we're gonna get to that eventually. You know, as far as uh, you know, the best part and the worst part of the yeah. hobby, and both of those answers are people. Yeah. You know, the people are great, but the people are terrible. You know, you always have people that just want to rain on somebody else's parade. You know, you could be happy. You know, I, I was stoked that I made those scorias. And I was stoked. And I was posting updated pictures of my female all the time. I posted a couple of videos of her. And every single time you'd have a bunch of people that come in there and they're just talking nonsense because of stuff that they heard from somebody else that heard that from some other guy. And... I think a lot of those things cause problems which make that animal less popular as it should be. And it's an incredible animal. Absolutely. Like you're talking about an animal that's like a, a peach orange kind of color with almost no pattern and just like a couple little blocks on the end of their tail. Yep. Like that's wild looking. And, and that's, so. mind you, another uh, another animal that really hasn't been explored much as far as outcrossing with other morphs. Oh, yeah, exactly. I know um, a guy that got a couple animals from me a couple years ago, Greg, he produced, for some reason, he wanted to make some IMG scorias. Hmm. And, you know, but it's, I mean, it, it takes some stuff like that. It's like, you never know. You might end up with an animal that's black, but that has like red patches through its body. You never know. Well, for example, so just to throw out like the ball python thing again, look at champagne, right? So champagne was just kind of a drab, kind of colored animal, and then somebody decided to throw Enchi at it. Oh yeah, Enchi allows a lot of pattern mutations to kind of stay with the champagne. Yep. And it gives it that different body hue. Right. And I think, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's a possibility for the Scoria, who knows? And then, and then that last one, the, the carbon. You know, I think just a lot of people are stuck because they have their type one uh, VPI snow projects or their whatever other anery projects they have with their type one or type two aneries. And if they were to, you know, branch in and, you know, kind of go for another line of anery, which I think is, you know, the more superior as far as white goes, you know, it opened up a whole new rabbit hole. They would end up adding an extra like 10 or so animals into their collection, not even not even including the animals that they would produce just to make combos. And then it would take them, you know, five, six, seven years just to make animals from their double or triple or whatever quadruple hets or whatever that they have. And I think a lot of people just don't want to go down that road because it just takes too long. Yeah, absolutely, man. All right, man. So we kind of already hit on this a little bit, but number six, what's your favorite part of the hobby? Like I was saying, man, the people that you meet... You know, like I had, I can't remember what year it was. I just know that like it was when Sergio, I think, was first getting into the animals. And I want to say it was probably back in like 2000, 
10, 11 maybe, when mm -hmm. I was when I was stationed down in San Diego, and I was coming up and visiting Tony, and every once in a while Sergio would come by, you know, to pick something up or just hang out or whatever, and that's when he was first getting into boas, and he was picking up like some you know paradigm producing stuff like back you know from like back in the day you know and it's like that's how a friendship that i've had with sergio has you know started and it's like he's not a guy that i otherwise would have ever met like he's into cars he's into music i'm not into either of those things <laughs> and yet you know we we chat you know fairly regularly and there's plenty of other friendships and things like that that i've had just because of you know reptiles so yeah. That's 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 probably the best part about it is is you know meeting you know interesting and cool people and then you know obviously reproducing, you know things that you never thought you would have or could have or whatever like, you could you could stumble into something crazy and you could produce the next pied boa from something that you got from a pet shop somehow. Absolutely, man, and it has happened before, man. So. Oh yeah, look at look at the uh, you know the original scorias. That's how those things came about. Yep. That dude got some normal bows from a pet shop, and somehow some scorias popped out, and that's where it started. And how scorias came from normal bows will probably never ever be, never be figured out. But it's a it's a crazy world. Yep. All right, man. Number seven. What's the worst part of the hobby? Also goes back to the people, and I think a lot of that has is basically Facebook driven, because <laughs> yeah. because years ago, you know, you know, back in my day. Yeah. You know, it was all forums. Like when I was stationed in Japan and pretty much all throughout the time while I was in the military up until, you know, probably like, I don't know, 2013 or 14, I think is when all the forums started really kind of dying. And then it became Facebook. Everything was on Facebook. And now you have everybody that interjects political views, personal beliefs on this and this and that. And it's not about the snakes anymore. Now it's like, I have to know what your shitty personality is. I can't just admire your animals. Right. And I think a lot of that, you know, causes problems. And it, and it causes a lot of people. Like, I've got a buddy of mine, you know, and I'm not going to say who he is or anything like that. But it's like, he always, always posts political things all the time. Dude, you know, I got plenty and, of those buddies too, man. And, it, and it's like, dude, nice. it's like, all you're doing is like jacking up your sales you could have somebody that loves your animals but sees you posting political stuff and they disagree with whatever your beliefs are all of a sudden you've now lost a sale and that may not mean anything if you're producing an animal that's you know a couple hundred bucks or whatever because you can find another person like that but when you're producing animals that are a couple thousand dollars a piece and you have someone that doesn't like you because of your political views they don't want to support you Yep. That's why dudes like Justin and Miguel and all those dudes that do ball pythons because they're so out there and people find their personalities enjoyable and they like them. They're like, I want to support that guy. You know, yeah. like he's a well, nice dude. Well, they're buying dude. into the into the lifestyle, right? Oh yeah, exactly. They're they're buying yeah they're they're buying the dream, which is what Pete Call used to do, right? Yeah. No. But but yeah, so it's like they're 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 buying into somebody. They're like, I like that guy. I like Sergio, super likable dude. Yep. You barely see him online, but if people know the guy, they're like, "Man, that's a that's a good dude." Like, like I would love to actually have an animal from that guy because it's from Sergio, and especially because the you know the quality and all that that he makes, it it makes it easy. Yeah, but, and I think but people if, are but starting Sergio, to get into that. Yep. But if Sergio was a friggin' asshole that was posting a bunch of stuff that people completely disagreed with all the time, regardless of how nice his animals were, he would have considerably less sales. Yep. And a lot of that is, is because 
people are on Facebook now. They're not on the forums. There's not tight-knit communities. Like, that's where I met Tony back in the day. We were Reptile Insider Forum. Mm -hmm. Tony, like Tibor, um, you know, a, a lot of people that were in, like, the Reptile, Reptile Insider Forum that Ed Lilly started, you know, it was, it was like everybody knew everybody, you know. Everybody knew, like, you know, everyone would post their collection pictures. Everyone would post their baby pictures. You know, they'd post, like, their, their breeding plans for the year. You know, everybody was like super open and now things just get lost so easily and so quickly, you know, because of like Facebook, because of, you know, just the, you know, the, the neat information now kind of thing. And the poor newbies that come into the hobby, they post one thing and they get friggin' lit up from 20 different directions. And they're like, man, screw these people. Yeah. Yeah, you know what, and I think it kind of taught, that speaks to what I call the three phases of uh, Facebook boa keeping, right? You got your newbie phase where you are open-minded, you have a lot of questions, you're just trying to learn and do the best that you can for your animals. And sometimes you take great advice, other times you take absolutely shitty advice, but simply you take what you can take because you don't know, right? And then you yeah. get to that point where somebody's in the hobby for like, let's say, a year, and now they think they fucking know it all, right? So you got the, the, the second phase, well, which is the know-it-all area where, oh, according to this guy and according to this, you shouldn't do this or mm -hmm. you shouldn't do that. But yet they still haven't been in the hobby long enough to know, really to know shit, right? Well, they're regurgitating the information. They're, they're, recur they're regurgitating and, info, exactly, man. And that's the oh, biggest exactly. problem I had because there was a couple big forums back in the day and the biggest, you know, there was Reptile Insider and then there was RedTailBoas.com. And, and that one I, I couldn't stand. I just I couldn't stand it, but I'm, that's a, that's a whole other can of worms. But you know, it, it's all it's that same kind oh, of. Oh, there were some dicks just, on that one, dude. <laughs> oh, I know exactly. Yeah, it, <laughs> absolutely. It was it was just a, a, a shit show, and you'd have and you'd have people like that, and I don't know, man. It that that part of it, like, ruins keeping a little bit, and it's like that's why it's nice to just not post anything. Like, if I were to look on my Instagram right now, I can't even remember the last time I posted a picture of any of the animals. You know, and it's it's just because I just, I keep to myself. I got, like, a handful of people that I talk to on a, you know, somewhat regular basis. You know, sometimes it's about snakes, sometimes it's not. But other than that, it's, you know, it's 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 much nicer, a lot less stressful just to keep to yourself. Yep. You just and, keep and to yourself, you clean your cages, you feed your snakes, you try and put some stuff together. You know, it's it's way less stress. Back when I was like posting stuff all the time and putting stuff in groups and dealing with people from all that stuff, it it took a lot of the fun out of it. it took like it's it just got so frustrating. So I just kind of like I'm like yeah I'm just gonna stop doing that. Take a note from Sergio and just chill out. Yeah, dude. Well, I think you guys have reached like the third phase of Facebook uh, boa keeping, and that's the we don't really give a shit kind of phase. Or essentially, oh, you're yeah. in it to. You're basically only reason you log in is to check out cool snakes, talk shit to your own friends, and that's about it. And maybe help a newbie here or there. Yeah. But most it, of the time, we're just looking. Too. Yeah, we're just looking at posts that the you know the intermediate phase makes, and we're just rolling our freaking eyes. Yeah. Sometimes I'm like starting to reply just to help someone out, but then you got everybody's gonna chime in, and so many times I've I've typed something. And then I'm and just like, like, no, nah. I, I erase no. it. I'm like, screw it. 
Or, or I'll private like, message Like, I'm like, not going to get into this thing. Yeah, exactly. It's like, I forget it. <laughs> well, you know what's the worst, dude? At least, not worse in the bad way, but worse in a hilarious way, is when you have, like, those people that are regurgitating information that will sit there and try to correct guys like Mike Wiseman. <laughs> you know what oh. I mean? I'm like, bro, yeah. you have no idea who the fuck you're talking to <laughs> right now, man. And, you know and, it, I mean? and it's not even to put, you know, someone like Mike on, like, a pedestal. No, it's you know, not, it's, man, it's, but he's just been around just forever. Like, yeah, exactly. He's been around for a long time. Like he has a method that works, a method that clearly is reproducible, and a method that has has made his business and him very successful. And then you have people that come in and they're like, "Well, that's not how that works. So you have to do it like this way and this way and this way." And it's like, you are out of your mind. Yeah, absolutely, <sighs> absolutely, yeah. man. All right, man. Painful no- stuff. Number eight. What other species do you keep and why? Uh, just like we talked about with the uh, ball pythons. Um, so I got a couple ball pythons. I also have a couple Burmese pythons. Ooh, nice. Um, yeah, um, one of my... One, morph one of morph my, Burmese or just Burmese Burmese? Yeah, morphs, yeah. Nice. What do you got? I got, I got a pretty good size, probably about a 13 or so foot, like hypo uh, granite female. Oh, um, Yeah, she she's really pretty. She's like easily one of my favorite snakes. Um, just because like I can open up her cage and she'll just cruise out. Yeah, she'll just be like, "Oh, hey, what's going on?" She'll come out and say hi. Basically, that's what it feels like. I know that when, when those things are raised right, they're fantastic, dude. They're so. Oh yeah, yeah. I got like a I got like a little uh, a hypo het lab female that's that's coming up. She's like a little picky. Like she doesn't want rats. She still wants mice. So eventually <laughs> she'll break it at. Yeah. But she comes out just super fast, and I'm like, I'm not sure if it's inquisitive or like, <laughs> you know, a little nippy. I'm Is not she sure. But a little reticish. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but but she's she's chill. Like when you handle her, and then the other one I got is a a, a green granite male. Yeah. Um, but my my female, she's out on breeding loan right now. I think it's another one of those situations where it might be not this year, but next year, um, when when she does some stuff. But but that'll be nice. Um, other than that, the the ball pythons, and then I've got a blood python that I'm probably going to get rid of relatively soon, just so I can focus on a couple other things too but yeah. i've got like 20 something 25 i don't know some number of uh ball pythons and um i actually want to start getting a little bit into uh some colubrids as well you know what dude like I've, I've got i've got a little uh really really pretty red bull female and I, and i'd like to get a couple more um red bulls and even like the white-sided bull snakes yeah, no, man. You know what? Actually, uh, I've avoided colubrids almost the entire time that I've been in the hobby. And I mean, I started, I think I bred my first bow as back in 98, dude. So, I mean, like I've been in, into it for, in, for a while, dude. But uh, I avoided colubrids up until this year. And then that's with the exception of uh, in, of indigos. I've always had indigos kind of. Well, in the indigos are barely a colubrid. Yeah, they, those things are their own, their own beast. But no, man, this year, my five-year-old daughter really wanted a milk snake right so i got her oh milk snakes are pretty a pair of like t positive uh, nelson eyes right and dude those things are so badass and now all of a sudden i'm like i catch myself on morph market looking at like milk snakes and king snakes i'm like hmm maybe i should see i don't i don't think i want to go with king snakes just because they can just be real jerks sometimes i like mountain kings dude like those things are cool just because i do a lot of field herping yeah, I love seeing those yeah. things in the wild. It's, it's now, different. Like, yeah, it's different finding a mountain out in the wilderness. Yeah. yeah, but for me, I like the bull snakes, and I actually really think that those uh, palmetto corns are Ooh, really yeah, cool dude, looking. Yeah, those things are badass. 
But, you know, right now, like, the next animal I get, because I finally, like like I was mentioning earlier, I've got um, some sunset stuff that I was paying off from uh, Brock Wagner. Yeah. And, you know, I finally, like, got that done, like, you know, like a month or two, like two months ago or something. I don't know. Yeah. A while ago. Yeah. Um, and so the next animal that I'm, like, for sure still planning on getting is uh, one of those carbon aneries, um from, from Kenny. I yep. was gonna get a a male that he had that he that he just never ended up selling this adult um, anery um, Aztec male, but he decided to keep him for uh, for breeding yeah. and 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 my whole point was man I was gonna get that thing and I was gonna try and put him with like my fire female yeah and he decided to keep it so then I basically went to then it would basically go down to to picking up a baby and then I was like man like it wasn't as as much of a priority so that's when I was like I'm just gonna get these sunset animals real quick and yeah you know build build that side up yeah no absolutely man all right man number nine what's a common misconception about you honestly i don't even listen to anything about me nor do i know anything about me as far as what other people say so <laughs> that's a good i way really to be, couldn't man. tell you that's a good way to be all right man number 10 what is one thing that makes you say what was i thinking when you look back at your time in the hobby uh, it goes back to that reenlistment thing i was telling you about you know, at that point, I didn't really have anybody to guide me. I didn't have anybody that I could really talk to or anything else about, like, what I should do, what I should get. No, like, solid kind of mentor kind of situation. And and that kind of, you know, made made that choice, like, a, a very expensive lesson. So that, that's one thing I definitely regret doing is, is not that I did it. It's the what I did it on. Yeah, and it's and it's not even you know because of and it's nothing with like Jeremy either because, you know it's like someone comes up to you and they want like a bunch of animals it's like you know you're, you you know you tell them like oh I want to get like a group of animals you know you're like, you hear that as a group of animals not a pair or a trio, so you put together a very well rounded little platter for them almost like a little sushi tasting right right. And, you know, at the time it sounded good and, you know, looking back on it, you know, a couple of years later, it, it was a bad plan. I mean, the only animal that I still have from that whole thing is a, a 2007 jungle female. Um, you know, every, everything else I got rid of because it just, it, it just didn't make sense. You know, yeah. years down the road after you, you know, lose your ass on it. Right. Um, so, yeah, that's, that's pretty much about it though. Otherwise, I feel like you know, everything else has worked out as good as it can. The only uh, the only other thing that would need to be improved is the not moving around thing. And hopefully that is, uh, you know, something that's, you know, going to stay that way for a while now where I'm going to be in the same general location, um, you know, for a, a reasonable amount of time so I can hopefully have um, reproducible success, you know, year over year for a couple different things because that in itself would would help propel the uh would help propel the projects and the collection along quite a bit yeah absolutely man all right man number 11 what's one tip you would give the people looking to invest in boas and reptiles mm, well as as it as it goes with that last one it's the whole quantity or quality over quantity thing you know if you have the ability to pick up a group of animals for like you know let's say five grand by the time you know you get to the point of where you're producing with those animals they're not going to be selling for nearly what they are now or what you thought right. they would be so investing smartly 
is the best way to go. And also, you know, buying females, you yeah. know, you stock yourself up on a couple nice females, you can worry about a male in like a year or two. Yep, absolutely, man. And then the other thing that I would say is uh, if you have the opportunity to get into projects early, so because that's really where you're going to be able to recoup a lot of your money, right? Oh, yeah, exactly. And that's that's why I did what I did with the fires. Well, the good thing, because the thing about that is Brandon had the foresight, like, to to want to get into it and work with it. Because, like you said, you'll get people that they'll say, on certain pairings, they'll be like, why would he do that? And then they see the offsprings and it's like, oh, wow, I want some. So it just so depends, go. but yeah, being able to get into it early enough. Final one, number 12. Any shout-outs you want to throw out there? Uh, not particularly. I don't, like I said, I don't really talk to anybody, but, you know, I, I got my buddies that I chat with regularly that, that do snakes, and that's pretty much Sergio. That's Tony, who's, you know, not really so much into snakes now. He's more so into his turtles and his and his gardening. Well, I hear he's coming back a little by yeah. little. Well, I mean, well, I know some things, but I don't know what other people know, so I just keep my, you know, keep myself to myself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and then, you know, my other buddy who also does really good work with the fires and produces some killer stuff is uh, Alex at Boa Republic. You know, he's a, he's a, he's a great dude um, who's, who's made a lot of really nice stuff, and he's, you know, focusing more and more on his boas these days over his uh, ball python stuff yeah man awesome well guys which is kind of funny because i'm focusing on ball pythons you know and he's he's kind of gearing more towards getting back into into just the the boas and the the, the lucy's specifically so yeah no absolutely man well guys i think that kind of wraps it up for today brandon tell the people out there where they can uh, see your animals and find out more about you um, you can just uh, go on to Instagram, and that's pretty much about it. That's that's probably going to be the best the best spot to go, and it's just Nixon underscore reptiles. So recently, well, not recently, but a couple months ago, changed it from Fire underscore Boa because someone changed their name to be very close to mine after they bought some animals from me, and it kind of miffed me. Mm. So I just went to uh, figured no one's going to steal my last name or my you know, general idea with the the fire project, so we'll just go with that. Got it, man. Sergio, tell the people out there where they can find you. Yeah, on Facebook, it's just Sergio Hernandez, and on Morph Market and um, Instagram, it's uh, Sergio underscore Hernandez underscore Reptiles, and that's about it. Perfect, man. And then over here, guys, you can find us on Instagram under Morphs Unleashed and also in Morph Market, Morphs Unleashed. Guys, thanks for listening. We are out. Guys, that was a great episode. Thanks to Brandon Nixon of Brandon Nixon Reptiles. Join us next time as we speak with Kenny Saito of Boa Affliction. We're going to talk about what it's like to start a new project and his work with the carbon gene. Thanks for listening. We appreciate you guys tuning in. Do us a favor. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe and leave us a five-star rating and review on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, and YouTube. Until next time, grow them slow.